Did you hear something? No. Hmm. Did I? I don't know. Simpsons time. Today I'm going to talk about episode number 52, Homer at the Bat, uh, which we screened at Simpsons Club a couple days ago, and so it's been much on my mind. It's not one of the ones that I go back to again and again. Um, Why? I wonder, because this past like few viewings of it really reinforce in my mind how great it is. Um, it is clearly the best. It's like head and shoulders, in my mind, the best. Head and shoulders above uh, any of the other ensemble cast uh, celebrity cameo ones or celebrity guest star ones. You know, the, there have been many that uh, feature lots and lots of celebrity guest stars all in the same episode. Uh, Homer Palooza, of course, is a standout. Krusty Gets Cancelled is another. Um, But this was the first one, and I think it's by far the most successful. Um, But I think the reason why I did not, uh, until very recently, appreciate it um, or go back again and again and watch it is just because I'm not a baseball fan um, or not as big a baseball fan as I could be and I certainly wasn't when I was a kid uh, although I mean I did you know the stature of all these people uh, and their fame was not lost on me I knew definitely who Don Mattingly and Daryl Strawberry were of course especially um, but I, I pretty knew, much knew all of the names of those ballplayers, at least. So I can only imagine how big a thrill it was for the 13, 14-year-olds watching who really did love baseball, you know, to see all of their actual heroes do voices on The Simpsons. And, like, also, uh, with one exception, be really, really good sports about being made fun of. <laughs> um, so... God, I just, where do I begin? I love it for so many reasons, but I think something that I don't want to miss talking about uh, is that it's cruel. (laughs) It was written by John Swartzwelder, who is definitely one of the uh, sort of harsher edged Simpsons writers out there. Uh, And it came about in season three amid such you know, very poignant shows as Marge going to Rancho Relaxo and, you know, the image of Maggie getting lost and curling up next to the big ice cream cone head that looked like Marge. And um, let's see, Bart uh, putting aside his rivalry with Todd Flanders and, you know, them deciding to be friends. And, you know, like all of these really great uh, 
ooey gooey sentimental not too sentimental but uh episodes with a lot of heart and a lot of uh emotional core and this one comes along and not only is it absurdist and very thrilling for a lot of reasons it is an absolute fuck you uh to the viewer not once but twice um (laughs) i understand that it was uh because of Sam Simon that they were able to get so many of these famous names, um, the the athletes to participate. Um, And it was his idea to sort of push the envelope and get like not one ringer, not three ringers for Burns's baseball team, but nine ringers. (laughs) And all of them would be famous, uh, like Hall of Famers. Crazy. But the episode starts out innocuously enough um, with Homer crafting the Wonder Bat and all that. And we really root for him. We're very happy that the Wonder Bat seems to be successful and that the softball team is successful. But then Burns pulls the rug out from under us after his bet with Aristotle Amadopoulos, uh, the owner of the Shelbyville plant, uh, who has the rival softball team, um, by deciding to hire the ringers. And it's totally devastating for Homer and Lenny and Carl and Charlie, who is prominently seen in this episode and not really again. And the rest of that team, the ragtag bunch of misfits, So, you know, we think it's going to be, at first, a story about them triumphing over adversity, even though they're a mediocre baseball team. But no, they do not get a chance to do that. Because all the ringers are brought in. But then we're excited all over again because, oh my god, here are these amazing baseball players who are our heroes, who we watch on TV and everything on the Simpsons, like drawn as Simpsons characters. Like what? Why is this happening? And it's also really good. Like all of them seem to be kind of funny and uh, have funny things happen to them. And suddenly they work for Mr. Burns, which is a trip. Uh, And so in true Swartzweldian, Simpsonian fashion, that also fails as one by one they are cut down by like extreme brutal misfortune. Some of it like bordering on heartbreaking. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So it's definitely a one-two punch of fuck you audience. And I really appreciate that because at that point in season three, they were able to do that. Uh, And in fact, this episode was the first one to beat the Cosby show in its time slot. It was the first time that The Simpsons won its time slot against NBC and all the other networks. So congratulations. All right. um, Yeah, I don't know. Just in case you've not seen Homer at the Bat, I will quickly, very quickly run down the plot. Burns has a softball team. Um, Homer is 
disgustingly choking on a donut when everyone notices that there's this sign-up sheet uh, on the bulletin board for the softball team. And they neglect his choking. They, like, leave him there to die, but luckily he throws up the donut and everything's fine. Um, hat tip to the Heimlich Maneuver poster of the guy Heimlicking a lobster, like, that's flying out of someone's mouth, by the way. And I think this really effectively sets the tone, actually, for the rest of the episode. It's, you know, he's greedily eating the donuts, he's choking, and then... <laughs> All the guys leave him to sign up for softball. Um, Homer says he has a secret weapon. Uh, people are skeptical. But it turns out his secret weapon, which is a bat that he actually has made himself, does uh, turn out to hit a lot of home runs. There's kind of a funny montage of a lot of good things happening to the team. Uh, as a result of Wonderbat and all the different uh, towns around Springfield that they are playing against. And it's it's like Fort Springfield and Springfield Heights and stuff. This is before um, North Haverbrook and all those town names were introduced. So they're going to be in the championships against... Shelbyville, and uh, everyone is really, really excited. Um, oh, there's also a flashback of Homer carving the Wonder Bat, and I, for one, am very impressed always when Homer does something competent or smart, as he is seen to do a lot in the early seasons. Um, I, myself, could never carve a bat <laughs> using all of those tools, including a lathe that he brings to bed with him. So even though they're doing well, uh, Burns has lunch with uh, Amidopoulos, one of the two appearances that that character, based on Aristotle Onassis, I think, uh, is ever seen. And he seems to have absolutely no faith in his own team, and uh, he makes a bet that they will win. Uh, but he doesn't believe that they'll win, so he tells Smithers to round up as many ringers as he can find. Of course, there's that great gag uh, where Burns has charted out um, all the different players that he requests, and they're all 100-year-old players from like the Civil War and stuff uh, who are long dead. Uh, but Smithers knows what to do, and so he goes on this great hunt for all the really good ball players in the land. And uh, yeah, he basically goes individually to not all of them, but I mean, we can assume all of them, but we only see half of them being courted by him in a variety of funny ways. Um, I like that Steve Sachs apparently has a jazz combo and <laughs> that's what 
Smithers goes to see and uh, he interrupts him while he's playing upright bass and like spinning it around. Um, Don Mattingly's washing dishes. Mike Sosha is hunting and accidentally shoots Smithers in the arm. (laughs) Uh, Canseco is doing like some card signing or something boring like that. And uh, uh, Ozzie Smith is visiting Graceland as a tourist. Is that it? There might have been one more. Uh, So all of that is really funny, like those little rapid fire things of Smithers talking to each one of them. Um, But then it cuts to Burns introducing all of these people uh, who have been given menial jobs, cursory jobs at the plant so that they can play on the softball team. And it turns out that it doesn't stop there. He introduces all those guys, and then he's like, oh, and here's Wade Boggs, Ken Griffey Jr., <laughs> Roger Clemens, <laughs> and Daryl Strawberry. You know, And it's like, it's so great. It's, I love that moment uh, because it's like, oh, all of these great ballplayers weren't enough for you? Here's some more. Um, So, you know, the town is excited. Uh, Bart and Ralph Wiggum get to have the real ballplayers play pickup baseball with them. Um, and there's that cute scene where they're choosing the teams. And Ralph gets everyone famous and good. And Bart is stuck with, like, Millhouse. With a Millhouse like Millhouse. So Homer and Co. are really sad and mad that they've been thus betrayed. But what are they going to do? Some of them make nice. Sosha, uh, in particular, is throws himself into his job, and there's a cute scene between him and Carl where they're talking about how, uh, how Sosha seems to really like the job. And that is a ironic foreshadowing of what happens to him later. Um, but Homer especially is like really pissed off um, because, I mean, because of this general reason, but also because Daryl Strawberry, the person who replaces him himself, is like a kiss ass to Burns and um, sort of gloats to Homer. I happen to think that Daryl Strawberry is the best actor out of all of them. Although really all of them are really good. Uh, in Simpsons lore, it is no secret at all that Kenseiko was the only one that was a pain in the ass to work with. But all the other ones were great. Uh, and actually I listened to the DVD commentary last night and um, showrunner Mike Reese says, oh, you know, the closest I ever came to falling in love with a man was Steve Sachs because he was so handsome and then he was also so polite. <laughs> I don't know, just that made me feel very, very happy. Um, but I think Daryl Strawberry really steals the show uh, and I think it's proper that he gets to be uh, the last one um, to be excluded from playing. 
I really, really love his reading um, of that scene between him and Homer, where Homer's like, you play the same position as me, but uh, you're, you're not better than me, are you? And Strawberry is like, well, I never met you before, but yes. <laughs> I just love that sarcasm. Um, yeah, but like I just said, they're all really funny. Uh, Mattingly has that great dig against Steinbrenner at the end. And uh, Mike Sosha, I think, somebody told me that he came back to the show and was uh, a voice much later on. He is now a Major League Baseball manager, of course. They said that Ozzie Smith's young son came to the record and did like a pitch-perfect Bart impersonation. And I happen to know that that same son later appeared on American Idol singing. Anyway, on and on and on. Uh, each of the ringers, one by one, befalls a misfortune, and all of the misfortunes are totally brutal, except for Jose Canseco's, because he made them rewrite it. Um, his original fate was going to be uh, a ripoff of Bull Durham, which had him in bed with Ms. Kerbopel, and that made him late for the game or not able to play the game. And that would have been hilarious! But he thought it was disrespectful, so he made them rewrite it so that he's blandly heroic, rescuing a baby and other things and other creatures from a burning house. Uh, pop singer Terry Cashman of Talkin' Baseball actually did perform... talking softball at the end of this and if you remember that song you can remember exactly what bad thing happened to each baseball player because they're all in the song written by Jeff Martin so just uh, as I remember the song lyrics I will tell you what happens to each person um, Roger Clemens is hypnotized by a bad hypnotist who's actually the same guy who trained the Santas in the, the Christmas pilot and he thought he was a chicken and was that thus not able to pitch because a chicken cannot pitch um, Sosha of course due to working at the plant for too long and with too much gusto got radiation poisoning Mike Sosha's tragic illness made us smile <laughs> um, is how the lyric goes and actually that's one of the ones that isn't heartbreaking to me because his performance is so good where he's like can't lift arm or speak at normal rate Although it is quite pitiful to see him so sad in the hospital bed. Wade Boggs gets in a bar fight with Barney over who is the best British prime minister in history. Awesome. Uh, Ken Griffey Jr. overdoses on nerve tonic. And uh, I do, this is my ungrateful fan moment. 
or uh, UFM. Um, I always take issue with the lyrics, Ken Griffey's grotesquely swollen jaw, because if you look at the design of him with gigantism as a result of drinking the nerve tonic, you see that it's his head that's swollen uh, and other parts of his body, his limbs, not the jaw really at all. <laughs> but that's a quibble. It's a quibble. Steve Sachs has the, to me, most heartbreaking thing happen when he gets pulled over by Eddie and Lou. And they're like brandishing a gun at him and stuff and they completely wrongfully arrest him for all of the crimes that ever happened in New York City. And uh, I just hate that that happens when Steve Sachs is driving around and he's like, what a lovely little town. Maybe I'll buy a home here once I retire. <laughs> it's like the worst. I hate it. It makes me cry. Um, Mattingly is kicked off the team because uh, Burns thinks his hair is too long. Or he's, he thinks that he has sideburns when in fact he doesn't. Uh, and apparently, like a year later, he really did have an argument with Steinbrenner about his hair being too long. That's something that I didn't know until much later. Uh, damn it. What else happened to the other people? Oh, Ozzie Smith, the inveterate tourist, goes to the Springfield mystery spot and he falls down a vortex and is never seen again. And that is another really sad one. The Wade Boggs one at least is funny. All right, with Roger Clemens clucking all the while, Mike Sosha's tragic illness made us smile. While Wade Boggs lay unconscious on the barroom tile, we're talking softball. Maine to San Diego, talking softball. Mattingly and Canseco. Ken Griffey's grotesquely swollen jaw, Steve Sachs and his run-in with the law. We're talking Homer, Ozzy and the Straw. Yeah, okay, so Daryl Strawberry is the one that gets to play the game because he hasn't had anything bad happen. Um, and at the last minute, Burns takes him out uh, and Homer pinch hits for him, which is like the worst decision ever by a coach but it does succeed because the Shelbyville pitcher beans Homer rendering him unconscious with his eyes open he keels over and it counts as a hit and they win the game and the episode ends with a lovely snapshot of the team all standing together in their championship photo with Homer totally unconscious on the floor and then everyone else, uh, you know, battered and in jail and in the hospital and, you know, all of the terrible things. And Ozzie Smith is a ghost <laughs> in the upper left corner because <laughs> he disappeared in the vortex. Yeah, what I, I think I've said it all about how great this wonderful episode is. They did a really great job of drawing all of the people so that you could recognize them. They really all looked the way 
they did in life when they were playing baseball in the late 80s, early 90s. Uh, they say that there was a Simpsons curse that after being on the Simpsons, each of these players had sort of a career downshift. But I think that's just because they got uh, people who were kind of who were really famous, and that meant that they were late in their careers al already. So maybe there is a curse, but I think that there isn't. Um, the funniest, like baseball-related uh, gag where they're actually playing baseball, I think, is uh, when Daryl Strawberry goes for the ball that Homer is supposed to catch and he jumps straight up in the air and he doesn't come down for like two seconds. I really love that. But do you see what I mean? How it's like a very mean show, mean-spirited. Uh, but you just, you gotta adore it for that, for that reason. And good on Terry Cashman for, uh, <laughs> I mean, good on him for enjoying a wonderful payday that I'm sure he had for recording Talkin' Softball. But I think that really lent a wonderful extra element of celebration and extra absurdity to this already very celebratory and absurd show. Uh, and again, at the time, I knew about the song Talkin' Baseball. I had heard it before, but I didn't know all the words. And I feel like if I had, I would have really appreciated it more on my first hearing of it. I knew that it was a song about baseball that mentioned all those names, like Willie Mays and, you know, etc. And that it was a very gentle-sounding voice singing. La la la. This has been Simpsons time. Thank you for listening. Dope. <laughs> That's a big dope moment. I had the wrong channel up. Hang on. This has been Simpsons time. Thank you for listening. This is the real talking baseball. This is not talking softball. This is talking baseball by Terry Cashman. Thank you for listening to Simpsons Time Through the Debigulator today. My name is Amanda Nazario, your host. I will be back next week with another one of these podcasts for you. Uh, it is always funny to me that um, things that I chose very carefully for the season that the original Nazario Scenario episode was being broadcast in are completely out of season for uh, <laughs> the podcast if I do them in order, but I still want to do them in order. So hope you're enjoying the beginning of your baseball off season and looking forward to the spring. All right, I'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. The man and Bobby Teller, the scooter.